Victor Wembanyama, Victor Wembanyama, and a little Scoot Henderson mixed in between. I'll be talking to Raphael Barlow of NBABigBoard.com. He is a draft Nick. He was there in Las Vegas. He's followed Wemby from France to see him here. He will give you the skinny on those two guys, as it is a pumped-up edition of Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. I'm JP Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, Equal Housing Lender. There have been two preseason games, but the most exciting exhibition of the entire slate across the league happened in Las Vegas, and it was Victor Wembanyama against Scoot Henderson. Seriously, if you didn't get excited by that, you don't have a pulse. And I have to say, I was very much not thinking that I would have this much excitement over a G League versus an international friendly. This was a G League Ignite preseason matchup that brought that much juice to the proceedings. First of all, the lighting in that arena. You have the purple backdrop, purple lights of the crowd. And there weren't many in the crowd. It was mostly NBA people. They said 200 NBA executives and staff. Everybody in the league was down there to see this once-in-a-lifetime thing. I truly don't know how to describe a player like Victor Wembanyama. Because off the top, I mean, what, what else can be said about this game that you haven't heard before because it was that awe-inspiring that it is the only thing, only content I've consumed. I've tried to read everything. His cover in Slam, Scoot's profile in SI, everything. And watching the games... You only get more excited about what they're doing. It was Tuesday night. You had two screens on. You had the Jazz game on, and you had Mets against Ignite. The only time that the Mets won't let you down in October. I got aftershock buzz from the Wemby clips on Thursday, him doing it again. Back-to-back 30-point performances. Okay? Last Friday, I tried to ask somebody, hey, what is Wembenyama? And they said, I don't know. If you've watched him, you would say that too, because you don't know. Think of a person that does everything. Think of Ralph Sampson, and I'm too young to know Ralph Sampson, but looking at a YouTube clip of him jamming it on the floor and then punching in somebody's face, well, maybe. Maybe he is Wembenyama. But as far as seeing a prospect like Victor, who, if you saw the tweet of him taking a picture next to Rudy Gobert and him towering over him, he is not in this world. Dollar Loan Center Arena, that place had the lighting of the Monstars, and Victor is Monstar 1 in the first one. The Space Jam 2 is trash. He hit seven threes on Tuesday, and he was doing it with combinations. He had a step back. He had that mid-range shot, end of shot clock, that you could see being used by a team. Whoever gets Victor is going to be instantly relevant because he looks generational. He looks like the most unique prospect we've ever seen because you don't know what he is. And then Scoot. I'm predisposed to really enjoy Scoot because he's a small point guard who is explosive, dominating the ball. He's an elite finisher. I was surprised by how much competitive spirit the guy gave 
to Victor. He took it personally, those two having this battle. And he went at him, finished around him, and Victor came back. That second half in the game one, his team was down pretty big at halftime. And then it was him that was driving them back. That competitive spirit is absolutely something that's going to translate to the NBA. And Scoot doing it back to him in the game. He drilled a three towards the end to start clenching it for G League Ignite. Scoot Henderson has the look of somebody who could be him. And him's being overused by the basketball accounts, but Scoot Henderson looks like him. He could be a one. And his handle is outrageous. He's small, so in the battle of one versus two, you go to the taller guy because it's basketball. That's why Victor is number one, clear cut, far and away. But Scoot at two, you can't go wrong with him. You can't. Can you believe they took a friendly this seriously? And they made us take it that seriously. It was well worth it. Well worth watching both of those players play on the basketball court. Because they brought it. And they delivered a show. And they displayed why they're one and two on the draft board. I'll get into more of this with Raphael Barlow. NBABigBoard.com. He took over for Chad Ford. And he goes deep dive on both of them. More than my scattered thoughts at the top of a pod. But that's just how juiced I was to watch both games. I'm sad I missed it. I wish I went. But thankful that they aired it. Because we all got a treat. Now let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. for the Jazz, two of them in the books. And as much as you can glean from two preseason games where they're doing hockey substitutions, five on, five off, the most important question from the first two games is, wow, is Colin Sexton going to come off the bench? I was shocked, flabbergasted, amazed that Sexton wasn't in the starting lineup for the very first preseason game. Because I look at the lineups that he rolled out there, and Will Hardy has a sketch of a rotation, right? A, a little outline of what it might be. And the first group, the starters, it appears to be Kelly Olenek, professional, center, being on really good teams, makes sense that he would be the starter. Lowry Markinen, who had an absurd Euro basket and is attempting to carry that over to the NBA season. Jared Vanderbilt, who has muscle and steel behind Kelly O, and then Malik Beasley and Mike Conley, two shooters and one true lead guard. Then the second unit is going to be Colin Sexton and Jordan Clarkson in the backcourt, Rudy Gay making the top 10, 
Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who was apparently impressed in the first couple weeks of training camp, and then Walker Kessler. And then the third combination is a stacking of of everybody else. Ochai Abaji's in that group, Taylor Horton-Tucker, Jared Butler, Leandro Bomaro, side note, Cody Zeller. When he's getting those third stint minutes, he looks like a professional player. He looks very capable. So I hope he makes this team. Again, I want to bring up Syracuse versus Indiana if it comes on a podcast. But don't make cuts just because of me. Colin Sexton in the bench. Second unit guy. And it makes sense if you're looking at the way that the Jazz played last year. They had a really small backcourt with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley. And with Malik Beasley alongside Mike, he's 6'5". So he gives more cover. Mike needs to be in the starting lineup because he is clearly the lead guard on this team. He just he knows how to run a team. And so he, he gets that position. But Sexton is a player that you sign and trade for. And if you play Sexton and Conley alongside each other at the starters, the second unit loses a creator. Because then it's Clarkson, Beasley, Alexander Walker, Kessler, Gay. So as game three and four happen... I want to see how those second units come together and gel. Because as you watch game two on Tuesday, it was much better than game one. Now, side note, I think Portland is West Coast Washington in that they're in the playing zone. They're not going to do any considerable winning at all. But as they play San Antonio next week, how does this team continue to coalesce and get more gelling together? Because Walker Kessler in that second group... He made a couple passes in the pick and roll out to the corner that other bigs didn't master in the first couple years. And Kessler's already getting that. So follow that along. But it's early. It's preseason. Things will change as the real games start. The first two opportunities to see the Jazz in action, the black uniforms, they'll be competitive. Five stars. Nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. It is Round Ball Roundup. Coming up, Raphael Barlow, NBABigBoard.com, a draft expert. He examines all the prospects. He has been on the Wemby case for a while, traveled the globe to watch him play, was in Las Vegas. We'll give the skinny on Victor V. Scoot. And I wanted to hear what he had to say about Walker Kessler and Ochai Abaji. Since Jazz didn't have a draft pick, it was pretty unexciting in the lead-up to the draft. But now that they do have draft picks on the roster right now, what did he see from them in pre-draft? What did he think of their college careers? What he thinks they can do in the NBA? It's Rafael Barlow on Round Ball Roundup. bit in the camera shot but i didn't know like i'd be in the entire camera shot it was weird has somebody sent me a screenshot i don't know what kind of tv they had but it made my arms look like carl malone's arms <laughs> and so i had to explain like that is not <laughs> real life um but yeah i did end up getting like a bunch of uh different screenshots of, of me in 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 the background so that was pretty cool i, I even made a facebook post say hey my i'm on tv 
the yoked director of scouting for nbabigboard.com joining the podcast. Only half of that is true. Only half of it. <laughs> so what was your impression of Victor in Vegas? It was actually different in a sense. And it just really, at least for me, showed the difference in the the games in, in Europe and in, you know, it's like NBA style rules. I mean, the first difference, obviously, is the NBA game is longer. So you have a more opportunity to put up, you know, more points. He definitely played with a lot more freedom, which is saying a lot because he has been playing free in his games in France compared to the year prior. But he just had a different level of freedom, different level of confidence. I mean, some shots he were he was taking were a little questionable, but it was just like, wow, a fadeaway three. <laughs> you know, fade to the corner three. And it was just like, he literally, in my opinion, just used this as a showcase to like show the world or the skeptical American audience, like everything you heard about me is true. And I'm here to show in Las Vegas where Scoop plays that there is, you know, th there shouldn't be a, a much of a difference. And even though I think he was kind of joking a little bit, he kind of said it in his quote, like, if, if I wasn't born. And I think, like, he said it jokingly, but he meant that. And I think that was the whole purpose of coming to, to Vegas, in a sense, is to really show people that I am that guy, <laughs> that that your, your tanking teams need to be praying for. Well, and that's why I enjoyed how Scoot responded with it in that first half of the first game, yep. that they were really going at it. He yeah. wanted to be known as the one for every NBA team to watch because, like it was said on the broadcast hundreds of times, 200-plus executive scouts, everybody was there in one place to watch both of these players. Yeah, even like a team like the Lakers, even though they were playing there, they don't have any opportunity to get them because their picks are going to the Pelicans as part of Anthony Davis trade, but they had multiple staffers there. And so it just shows that some people I feel were there just to see them in person for the first time. And then some teams, you know, I saw like the Miami heat there, like what are the chances they get them? But it was worth the trip just to see this guy play live and in person, Then you know, the, the Ignite had other players that they probably wanted to evaluate, but I mean, 200 guys is, is a lot considering there's only 30 teams. I'm not good at math, but that's like six guys per team. If I'm not mistaken, every major decision maker I'm sure was there for yeah. every single team to make sure that they got eyes on both players. If you had to describe Victor to someone, how would you do it? Because I did, I asked this question to somebody last week and they said, I don't know. And if you watched him, you would say, I don't know, too, because we haven't seen a player like him ever before. No, we haven't. And that's tough. And I, I just wrote an article that's it's just got published about two minutes ago about the comparisons. And, you know, it's just a wide range from different people. I, I heard I heard Power Memorial Luau Cinder. <laughs> I heard Durant. I heard Ralph Sampson. Um, you know, more recently, Chet, uh, um, Rudy, Gobert. And, and so it was just so many different comparisons. And at the end of the day, everybody still said, we've never seen anything like this. And maybe LeBron had the best quote, alien. <laughs> so, um, you know, the unicorn term is kind of getting, 
it's kind of losing its luster in a sense because we've been hearing it year after year. But Alien is probably maybe the best way to describe it because we it's it's so foreign. I mean, we haven't seen seven five. I mean, I, I've the game is played in shoes. How tall is he really? Seven five. That's insane. Uh, and I, That's and insane. I'm not, I'm not good at measuring, but like I mean, you saw the picture with him next to Rudy, and he was <laughs> taller than Rudy. It was a point after the game was over, right? And I'm sitting there on the far baseline and I'm talking to somebody. And then in like the corner, like the tunnel of, of like on the far opposite end, you couldn't see anybody, but you saw his shoulders. And I guess he must've been taking pictures, but you couldn't see anybody where I was standing. You couldn't see anybody else in the picture. You just saw like his shoulders. And I mean, he's just, I mean, his arms, like, the height is one thing, but when you see the wingspan, that is the craziest thing. It's, it's, I think it measured at like eight feet, and it's just like it's 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 like man, he he's like a one man zone in a sense. Like he can defend the paint and contest a a three pointer <laughs> from outside the paint. It, it's pretty crazy. I mean, defensively, the only comparison I have is is Rudy, and he moves better than Rudy as far as like fluidly. What is the competition level that he's going to go against when he goes back to France? Because it's not going to be this G League Ignite game every single time. What is he going to be facing when he goes back? Um, the competition in France is is it's it's not the G League Ignite. Even though I feel like the Metropolitans played a really good game against Ignite, considering you know jet lag. I mean, NBA teams aren't really traveling that far. <laughs> I mean, we see it every once in a while. Um, and I thought they played they played well. The competition in France is it's an athletic league. It's more physical. And um, I, I spoke with his dad after the game, and I was kind of like, "Did you expect this?" And his dad was just kind of like, in so many words, he was saying it's a little bit more free flowing and it's not as physical. And and uh, you know, you get up and down a little bit more. So I wouldn't expect to see multiple 30-point games like that again. And even though he did have two 34-point games in, in the preseason, but his two regular season games, he had at least the three games he had, I'm going to say 23-19, and then he had a game where he was in foul trouble and he had 10. So the competition is not as good, but the game is shorter, it's more physical, and it's just a totally different style of play. And how is this team built around him? Because understanding that the coach – is the French national team coach that just coached in Eurobasket. This team, at least in the understanding, is kind of built around what he's going to do, correct? Yeah, he has a couple guys um, that I don't know if they've played together, but I know they're familiar with each other because they share the same agent, Boone and Jai, who's also Rudy Gobert's agent. And so um, the coach is also um, under under Comsport also. So you you can't say it's definitely built around him. On another hand, I think if it was like totally, totally 100% built to show his strengths, then it probably would have like a bigger point guard in a sense, because even though Tremont Waters is, is I mean, he's really good. He's small. You kind of, and you saw it in the first game is that due to his lack of size, he can't really take advantage of Victor as a vertical lob threat you know a bigger point guard can see over the top of the traps and and you know you know there's only you know if you throw it up 14 feet in the air I mean outside of maybe Mitchell Robinson (laughs) maybe 
2012 DeAndre Jordan, maybe Giannis. There's nobody else that can that can get the ball. And so I think um, if they're really maximizing everything, then they would find him like a bigger pass first point guard to make him even more dangerous as a lob threat. Well, even that Besson pass transition where he yeah. lobbed it behind him and Victor had to go all the way back and catch it. It showed off how huge he is. And, well, you know, the most impressive thing about that play was he got the block on the other end. Like, how do you get a, a block and, like, <laughs> and you beat everybody else down the floor in transition and get, like, a, a highlight reel dunk? And it just, to me, showed that, you know, how he moves and the effort in the play. And, like I said, he blocked the shot and ends up getting a, a dunk on the other end. We don't really see that too often, especially when you have enough to where the guy can throw it up and – and you can make a poster. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought that he just put on the absolute best performance he could put on. What was the buzz from executives, from everybody you saw down there, the, the talk after those two performances? Tanking. It, it was weird, though, because it's like, so it was like Summer League in a sense, but how Summer League used to be before it became such a fan event. You know, like, I remember going to summer league 10, 12 years ago, fans sprinkled here and there, but every executive, every decision maker were there. So everybody was really accessible and you see guys, you know, just kind of talking. And then the last few years with summer league being such a big deal, there's only like a roped off area to where guys can kind of congregate and, and just kind of, you know, you won't, you're not able to see a whole bunch of guys representing a bunch of teams, just, talking on the baseline and, and all that before the games and evaluating. So the vibe was definitely something I've never seen before. I, I guess maybe a combination of old school summer league and the combine, but it was like the best environment because you were able to watch these guys play in somewhat of a competitive, well, it was a competitive fashion, even though it was an exhibition game. And after it was over, especially after the first game, it was more so like, did this really happen? Like, did this event really exceed all the expectations and the hype? I mean, very rarely does it. I mean, we've had games where you've had number one guys and number two play against each other. You may see an 18-point game, a 20-point game. You may see somebody kind of struggle a little bit here and there, but I, I can't recall where we saw 37 and 28 <laughs> and a team come back from down nearly 20 points and fight. So, I mean, it was just, it was just one of the, the highlights of my basketball career. Honestly, it was like watching that chiefs Rams game on Monday night where they were going back and forth and they were just scoring every single possession. It was insane to see how the NBA Twitter community reacted how that room reacted and we haven't even talked about the other reason why people are so up on it scoot henderson he was amazing in that first game yeah and you know the the, the knock on scoot was he was not a good shooter i mean we knew he could shoot at least the people that had been following him closely knew that he was a good mid-range shooter and had an advanced pull-up game but he showed a, a very confident stroke from three he also showed just a different poise and patience that we're just not used to seeing from an 18 year old point guard. I mean, he played like a veteran beyond his years. And one of the things that stood out most to me about Scoot is, 
you know, every year almost we have like these really uber athletic guards, but they all have games that are usually just purely based off of athleticism, like just one speed, aggressive downhill, kind of out of control, sometimes wild. And Scoot has like a, a pace to his game to where, you know, he's an exceptional athlete, but he changes speeds, he's calm, he's poised. And at the same time, he still is aggressive, but it's like a controlled aggression in a sense. And I, I thought that he could not have had a better showing himself in the first game and 28 points, nine assists. And, you know, any other year, he probably is the, the number one pick. Unfortunately, he got hurt in yesterday's game. So that was kind of a, a, a bummer and kind of ironic that, you know, him and Victor bumped knees. And if you would have asked somebody before the game, these two guys collided and bumped knees, which one do you think would be the one that, that would, uh, you know, not play, people probably would have bet on Victor because everybody's so concerned about, you know, his his durability because of his, his frame. What does he need to show in this G League season that Ignite's going to be playing the full slate? What does he need to show to solidify him being number two? I don't think he needs to show anything new. I mean, I just think that... I mean, you know, it's a weird situation, and I, I doubt if it happens. If both guys just decided to shut it down right now, which is weird that we're even talking about it in October, I, I think that they go one and two. I don't think it would be held against them. I mean, you may question like, oh, man, we don't like it, but at the same time, I mean, they're just such a – We I mean, saw the games. Great talents. Yeah, yeah we, 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 we watched it. And and their, their, their stock can't get any higher yeah. than, than what it is. But I mean, I think for him that if there were something that he would need to show if people are kind of really concerned and nitpicking is just consistency shooting. And I think last year, even though he shot about 21% from three, you know, if you put it into context, he was 17 years old and he was adjusting to the NBA three-point line, which is a big jump from high school to the NBA three-point line. So I think his shooting struggles were more related to just having to adapt and adjust to playing with a, a you know, a further three-point line. And I think this year the shooting numbers will improve, even if it's just a, a gradual improvement. He's still 18 years old and, and he just does so many other things that, that you can wait on the shot to come along. Are fringe teams making mistake trying to make the plan? Yeah, the plan is going to be interesting to me because I can imagine, especially with the odds kind of being flattened, flattened out, that some teams are that are middle of the pack are going to try start dumping off assets. I mean, I think some of the stronger teams are going to end up being really, really loaded <laughs> this year. I mean, I'm just guessing here, but I, I can just see a guy like Eric Gordon ending up on another another good team or. You know, it's going to be very interesting. But, yeah, I, I think teams are going to try to avoid the play-in. And there's going to be some guys that we've never heard of playing 36 minutes per game. <laughs> so I want I can't wait to see some of these lineups and these rosters um, in in April and in, in late March. It's going to be – it's going to be crazy. It might even look like the, you know, the rosters – Last year, when when they had all the the COVID guys, the COVID call ups, yeah, yes, yeah, so this might be COVID call up 
uh, year number two. How did the rest of the NBA prospects involved in the game, Leonard Miller, one that comes to mind, Sissoko as well was on the floor. How did they come out of it fully realizing Victor and Scoot were the headlines, but they still had opportunities to show themselves in front of all those executives who were there? You know, I thought it was weird for them because... I, I can only imagine. I can only imagine what they were going through. Yeah, I, I think it was weird because it was like... You know, they, they had this opportunity to showcase themselves in front of every team, you know, multiple executives from every team. And in, in most cases, you know, those guys would in any setting, whether it was college or even the most G League settings, they would at least be somewhat of a priority. And they were such an afterthought. And even when they had solid performances, Nobody was talking about them. Everybody was still focused on, did I just see what I just <laughs> saw with, with Victor? So I thought even when they had good performances, it still was kind of under the radar. I thought Mojave King had a really good game yesterday. I thought he um, showed um, you know, he, he showed that he could be someone that will, will end up getting drafted. Um, but some of the other guys, Leonard Miller, I mean, he had his flashes. He still looks a little raw to me, but I I feel like he showed enough to, you know, um, the reason why people were so high on him and his potential in, in the first place. So I think he showed enough of that as far as like just the size, the being able to be versatile and he knocked down some shots and the passing and the rebounding. And then he just wasn't scared. I mean, he was on the wrong end of, you know, the Victor dunk. And then, you know, he <laughs> in an embarrassing fashion because i mean i remember seeing the tweets like why would you try like why would you even try but he showed that he's you know competitive and then a few possessions later i think he was on the wrong end of an alley-oop dunk so even that was like it's, it's embarrassing on one hand but i mean he competed so I, I thought he played i thought he played okay like i said he's still a little raw but he, he he'll have some time to to get more adjusted because i, I think for I think a lot of people don't realize that this Ignite team probably had only been practicing together for maybe like a week or so, maybe two weeks max. So um, I, I think Jason Hart will have them ready to go by the end of the season. How is that experiment going with G League Ignite in how it's developing players and where their trajectory goes after they're done with the team? Well, you look at their first year, I mean, they had two lottery picks. They had a a lottery pick in the 2022 draft with, with Dyson Daniels. And Dyson wasn't even the projected guy, you know, that was supposed to go high with Jaden Hardy. I think with Hardy, it was, it was very weird. And I had tweeted a lot about it around the draft time is, you know, he was a guy that was projected to go top 10 around this time last year. Struggled with inefficiency, but I was just kind of amazed at how he fell so far in the draft and fell out of the first round. And then so far in his one preseason game, he, he played well for Dallas. He looks like he, he looks like the Mavs have a steal there. Um, but then uh, Beauchamp was a, a first round pick. So, you know, in their, their two years, they've had multiple first round picks. If, if I'm not mistaken, they've had six guys drafted in two years. I mean, to me, that's pretty successful, especially when you consider they've had three in the lottery. So I think the experiment is, is going well. And um, they have a little bit more competition than they probably thought they would because they were supposed to kind of be like the only game in town, if I'm not mistaken, as far as being able to pay 
college guys and now you still have the you know you have the nil and then you have overtime but overall i mean you, if, if i'm the nba and i'm the g league i'm i'm excited about our future and and what we've done so far and you have victor in france to compete with as well yeah um, i mean this draft is going to be interesting because you can make a case and say the best three maybe even four players in this draft are not playing college basketball and i'm really high on the thompson twins and i mean i would take i'm in number three if it were up to me so i mean you can make a case and say the three best players then i'm highland's brother too so it's it's uh it's gonna be a very interesting year and even more so for like jazz fans because you're not gonna just be able to turn on you know, Big Monday or, or ESPN college basketball and watch the guys that you're probably hoping would fall into your lap uh, early if if you win the lottery. You're going to have to be a little creative and try to figure out ways to watch Victor's games, or you may have to watch the Ignite games on YouTube or figure out overtime elite games. So it's a uh, jazz fans. You have your work cut out for you this year. It's not going to be real easy. And there's a boozer who's out there lurking as a potential draft prospect that's really good, right? Yeah, but he's like a freshman. He's like 15 years old. <laughs> but he's he's playing the Thompson Twins this year. Right? Yeah, 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 but he's not going to be eligible. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. If you're a Jazz fan, you might need to watch him because you got enough picks. They have picks <laughs> You're going to 2029. You have to watch every single draft now. That's, that's true. This hey. last year was boring. No draft picks, didn't select anybody. They did eventually get someone. There was nobody who you expected heading on draft night. These next drafts, you have to expect that the Jazz will be picking at some point. It's going to be the Jazz and OKC and the Pelicans all picking back to back to back. And that, that's what's very cool about like this whole draft space because, for example, like last year on like my newsletter, I didn't have Jazz fans in my comments. Jazz fans didn't care about the draft. And, and even like the last three or four seasons, draft fan or jazz fans were focused on trying to win a championship and now i'm going to have a bunch of utah jazz fans that are showing interest in what i do and so it's cool for me because it's such a passionate fan base it may not be the biggest fan base but it's a very passionate and knowledgeable fan base so i'm looking forward to the next few years having a lot of dialogue with utah jazz fans well let's start a dialogue on the two players that they were able to get from those trades, starting with Ochai Abaji out of Kansas. He was the 14th overall pick in last year's draft. What did your draft breakdown yield for him? What do you expect for him to translate to the NBA? Yeah, because he's a senior, he's uh, just finished his senior year. He's he's ready to go. He's like a plug-and-play guy. And um, I thought that even in Cleveland, because they're a team that has aspirations to make the playoffs and, and, and be competitive, they ended up getting a guy that they could just plug in their lineup and play. Didn't need a whole lot of development. And he is like the rare player that chose to develop in college as opposed to entering the NBA his freshman, or not maybe not his freshman year, but his sophomore year. That's when he kind of had NBA draft buzz. And he just decided to develop in college and, and get better. And a lot of times it's held against guys. Like I felt like, you know, a Desmond Bain fell so low in the draft, which is, you know, I mean, if you do a redraft, he could be a top five pick in that draft. But I think he fell low because he was considered older, may not have had the, you know, the highest upside or whatever. And so um, 
yeah, man, I think you, you get a guy that can knock down open shots, can move it off the ball, a good athlete, good defender. At the very minimum, he should just be a, a high-level rotation player, 3 and D guy that, again, knocks down open shots and is a transition finisher. Walker Kessler, the number 22 overall pick. He played alongside a skilled big in Jabari Smith down in mm-hmm. Auburn. How does that translate to what he's going to do at the NBA level? He is an amazing rim protector. And I know jazz fans appreciate amazing rim protectors. He is oh, yeah. an amazing rim protector. Not saying he's Rudy, but you got to remember, Utah got Rudy late in, in, in the draft. What is he, 27th pick? 27. And and Rudy, that's why he wears 27, duh. And then Rudy was in Bakersfield. And I remember seeing him there when he's in the Bakersfield jam. He developed. And then next thing you know, it's like, was it two years later? He's like this huge force i think that would be really cool if if they can duplicate that when well, he's an amazing shot blocker if i'm not mistaken only hassan whiteside former utah jazz had like a better block ratio or blocks um per 48 minutes in like the last i don't know 20 something years so the question for him is can he defend in space and that's that's the biggest concern um but he had like triple double games he had like 10 block games and I think he has more offense than he was, he's been able to show in his two years in college. I mean, if you watch like his high school film, you see like he was knocking down threes and he just showed uh, some touch. And so I think, you know, with the jazz is, um, you know, the developmental staff is if they can maximize his potential on offense, then, then you got a real player there. Are you excited to have more jazz fans in your mentions after this podcast? Definitely. definitely. And, and I like to to um, go back and forth and, and talk with with, um, you know, with, with different people on Twitter. I'm not one of these guys that I just tweet and there's no dialogue. I like to go and, and have good conversations because it's fun and interacting is is uh, what Twitter is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be one sided where I'm just giving my information and that's it. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. If you want the information, nbabigboard.com. He took over for Chad Ford, and he's doing an exceptional job at that. He he saw Scoot. He saw Victor. He's going to see whoever the Jazz draft here in the next 10 drafts that they have all their picks for is Raphael Barlow on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Raphael, thank you so much for taking the time. No problem. Anytime you want me on, let me know.